Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Apple's little mini games console, essentially, with a, a great library of games already in existence. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned Final Fantasy, which is a pretty big achievement, isn't it? More on Apple TV's future in the UK later. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And thank you to everyone who has persevered over the last two or three weeks while my travel schedule and holiday schedule and Ian and I's being ill schedule yeah. has somewhat got in the way of our regular programming. Yeah, we haven't got that thing where you get bored, have we? That's not what the problem is. The problem is that you are very busy and I am very busy and I am very ill and you, well, I was very ill and you also were quite ill. Indeed. But I appreciate everyone who has been leaving reviews on iTunes for the show. It means a huge amount. And uh, hopefully we should be back to our regular scheduled programming. And we are going to start by talking about the fact that students taking computing GCSEs has doubled in a year. with, In fact, more than doubled with a 121% rise in female pupils as well. Now, this is according to a story on V3 um, a couple of days ago, which, which has said that the number of students taking computing GCSEs has more than doubled from 16,700 to just over 35,000 in in 12 months. And figures released by the Joint Council for Qualifications also showed that record numbers of female students took the computing GCC up from 2,500 to nearly 6,000. So that's the 121% increase. Now, I thought this was absolutely fascinating just by reading it, but I was thinking when I hear computing, I still think of what computing was back when I was at school, and I imagine you're yourself as well Ian which yeah. tend to be more kind of here's how to use a word processor <laughs> here is a spreadsheet and things like that very very boring so um, spurred by this interesting news I've looked into what the GCSE um, course actually is and this is one that's put together by the OCR um board group, I suppose. And this really is something that is focusing much more on computing. And specifically, um, students are learning about emerging and current technologies. They're looking at things like how algorithms in computer programs work. They're looking at things like how to program Raspberry Pis. In mm. fact, they're, they're actually named in the document about why someone should do GCC computing is uh, that, well, the quote is, we've teamed up, we being OCR, with partners such as Raspberry Pi and Computing at School to invigorate the curriculum and develop new resources. They're doing a hell of a lot and and producing small projects on, um, you know, even writing simple computer programs and stuff. Now, these weren't things that you and I would have done particularly in, in, in school. And they're putting it out here as being highly relevant and also fun. And it's, it's still a, seen as an entry level to computing. But it's effectively the foundation for what becomes something like a computer science degree, which is, uh, you know, not a new skill, but certainly not one that as many people um, could be doing if uh, sort of GCC level education was a bit more engaging and exciting and it sounds like and certainly in terms of numbers looks like it is this is great isn't it Ian I mean I don't have kids but you have a you have a couple I'm very excited about the idea that um you know my kids could be taking 
computing at school and actually learning something that they could turn into a, a job. I mean, I wouldn't, I would say that a lot of the, you know, the computing stuff I did at school was pretty basic, but I still think it helped. Um, it certainly helped having computers at home. It certainly made me interested in, in the, the whole process. And, you know, that had a knock on effect in the, you know, the courses I took subsequently. But um, I've never been able to code. Um, it's never been something I've been any good at or even really been able to grasp the basics of. So um, like learning any language, it's better to get that sort of stuff done early. And I know that the kids are doing that now and that, that really is exciting. Yeah, I'm, I've, I think this is brilliant. And we won't have a, you know, we need we need coders to make a strong country and economy, don't we? Because let's be honest, the future is probably computing more than it is going down a mine. We do, but the um, the real thing that we also have to make sure we're doing here is that we're opening the opportunities for people to employ these skills in the future and not, you know, it, it's only half of the battle at the moment, which is uh, developing a generation of, of, of kids who are you know, able and, and inspired to take computer science degrees or learn, you know, much more advanced coding and go into the professions that use them. But it's it's the other half of that is making sure we have an economy that is ready to employ that and values it and not mm. effectively breeding the talent, but then effectively allowing or, or, you know, letting other countries, and I say this without wanting to sound like a massive, you know, xenophobic <laughs> racist, but you know what I mean? Not having other countries be more attractive to our students. You know, we want to raise the talent here and, and then we, you know, we should want to be able to, to use we, that talent as well. We don't want them to go and work for Facebook in the US, do we, for well, example, it, it, or it, Google. Exactly. Or- Exactly. Um, here's a here's a really cool example. Actually, uh, my ne- my nephew is um he's he's not that old. He's you know five, um and he um he loves Minecraft. Him and his brother both love Minecraft, and uh, one of the things that he does really well. In fact, it, it, Minecraft taught him to read essentially because he had to be able to read to play Minecraft. So it sort of forced him to learn what all the dialogues said and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he started reading a lot earlier than he would have normally done. Um, and also, um, he's now started coding as a result of Minecraft because they have their own server. So he will he will go in and mess around with it, and none of the other people in the house know what he's doing. He's so good at it. Um, it's it's a, it's really inspiring that kind of thing because it it's it's a cool way that kids get into doing stuff that will maybe make them money one day. Definitely, and I think the Raspberry Pi has had a a huge part in to play in this because it essentially put affordable logic boards and effectively the the components that do make up a pc system into the budget range of primary and and secondary education in in a major way but i think you're right that the other part of this is that simply with the uh, you know the onset of popularity of mobile games and of apps people are just more aware of what coding can do and it's not just if you learn a spreadsheet, you might be qualified to go and program Windows or build the next big spreadsheet. People are now thinking, well, I really like Minecraft or I really like the idea of building, you know, being an entrepreneur and building the next generation of apps for future platforms because the technology has got to such a point where it's it's very accessible and very exciting and people think now it's actually relevant for them. Um, and I think that's amazing. And I think similarly amazing is that 
obviously something and and i don't believe yet enough but something is obviously working to not make this feel like a very masculine subject because that's definitely been a problem obviously with the stem you know science technology engineering and maths has been more attractive to boys than it is to girls but 121 percent year-on-year increase in girls taking this course um is fantastic now i, I looked at some other numbers and they're still over um, you know, there are still a lot of pupils doing the ICT exam, um, but that has had, although it's had a bit of a rise in terms of the number of people taking it, it's had nowhere near the kind of rise in uh, female pupils taking it. And according to the V3 article, it's gone from 41,000 to 47,000 in terms of uh, girls taking the ICT course. So it's something very specific to computing. It's something very specific to what that course is offering. So it it, it should be within you know the next five years that we start seeing a generation of um of kids or teenagers going into university with um pretty capable quali- uh, pretty capable skills in computing um from gcc and um it'd be great to see what the universities start doing with that talent um with all those new people so i think that's great news Also hitting the news this week was the revelation that online music videos are now going to get age ratings in the UK in the same way films do. Now, this is following what assuming uh, I assume to be a successful government pilot. Um, and basically, this means that you might load up YouTube and press play on a music video and you'll see an 18 logo on some music videos. Now this is only going to apply to music videos produced in the UK. So this means that um, things like Calvin Harris, according to this article on the BBC, or Jessie Ware, never heard of her or him, I assume <laughs> her, they, these are ones that uh, they've, they've got a 15 certificate because they're produced here. But there are other ones that are produced outside of the UK. So I assume things like Eminem, just thinking of one, or um, Aborted. They're an American, fantastic American grindcore metal band. Um, assuming they're probably not going to get uh, the same ratings because they're not produced here. But it's a step forward. I personally, without you know, I don't want to put my uh, think of the children hat on, but I, but I do think a generally higher awareness of what's in some of these videos um, is probably a good thing. Although the enforcement of it and the effectiveness of it probably a moot point i can't see it making a huge difference given how many 12 year olds play call of duty um yeah i mean well that's the problem isn't it it's it's about enforcing it and um youtube's enforcement isn't strict or anything is it it's um it's like it's it's fairly lax in that you just have to sign up for an account and i don't believe you're ever asked to um prove that you're 18 no or anything like that i, I watched um, the first two videos from this, the one from Fifty Shades of Grey, which is that Jesse one, and the uh, uh, what was the other one? Um, Calvin Harris. The Calvin Harris one, and they're both dreadful. They're absolutely awful. And in what um, in what way awful? Do you well, mean? I mean, you're not, not talking about the not music. Not in explicit content. The 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 Jesse Ware one is like uh, is essentially just an advert for Fifty Shades of Grey. It's it, it's just a it's a trailer of a of the film basically put into the music video and it's it's repeated clips it's not it's it's the same bit over and over again it's almost like they would only clear them to use 20 seconds or something um and the calvin harris one is just the, it's it, it there's such a stereotypical piece of nonsense it's uh it's just got these 
people driving in the desert and there's a big shootout and it's just it's made by people who think guns are cool and that's all I've you know and it's just they're just both dreadful uh, but I definitely definitely do not agree that the 15 certificate on the um, on the 50 shades one is really justified I mean it, it, it isn't sexual at all really I mean it it might be difficult to explain it to a five-year-old but I don't suppose anyone I don't suppose they look at it and think it was anything weird it's just strange and boring and the Calvin Harris one is just violence and yeah and I mean I, I, I don't watch many pop music videos no, I'll be no, absolutely no. honest but most of them seem to be about selling sex to children <laughs> well you might say that and that's possibly true I mean I, you know I watch obviously um, the thing that you notice when you have kids um, is that they really really like pop music and so you end up watching quite a lot of music videos with kids and children I do some, like pop music they do uh, they do a lot and uh, it always come as a massive surprise to you um, and um, you know so you watch you watch a lot of stuff like Taylor Swift and um, sometimes you do notice that they're like um, for example example um you know ellie goulding has a song from 50 shades and the video for that is probably i wouldn't choose to have my kids watch that um but you know so it's it's a it it obviously there is a you are sort of sensitive to it as a parent but it's not difficult to watch things in advance i don't i don't see what the rating does because ultimately i'm going to probably want to look at them first anyway to find mm. out what i think of them because uh, you know like i i mean i wouldn't show my kids the one with the shooting um and i probably wouldn't show them the 50 shades one either to be honest but that's because the songs are both awful <laughs> um but um, i've just watched the dizzy rascal one as we've been talking and that's just brilliant it's it's hilarious i mean it's it, it's very very gory but it's quite cartoon i mean again i wouldn't show it to a child no. um but as an adult it's a, a hoot but it justifies its 18 rating I think this is where it gets interesting is, is it a good move? Well, uh, is it a good move? Yes, in as much as it's probably not a bad move. It's probably not making anything worse. But whether it does any good, that's what I'm curious to see because music videos are not exactly a new thing. No. So, and they've know, always th- pushed the boundaries a lot. I mean, this is sort of, you know, because in order to catch the attention of, you know, originally the MTV generation, you needed to have stuff that was like super interesting to get people to be like oh wow it you know before music videos were just people watching you know singing song with some microphones i mean that's not a music video as we understand it now is it it isn't granddad no it isn't um (laughs) kiss my ass (laughs) (laughs) but i think that but but i do know what you mean i mean the music video is going through something of a renaissance um i think because there was a period where music videos didn't seem to have much of a point because you know, MT- no one was really watching MTV anymore. And then iTunes came along and then it started making a little bit more sense because people could buy music videos. But then YouTube came along and now the the video almost is the song, you know, so it makes more sense to have something that's visually quite compelling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're obsessed with rating things, aren't we? Whereas that really, you can't, I mean, again, this is something that you realise quite quickly when you have kids, is that with films and stuff like that, you just can't rely on ratings alone as a, as a way of deciding what is and isn't suitable for your kids because every child is different. And Part of the problem is that ratings are generally decided by ratings boards. Mm. And, you know, people who, who are on ratings boards don't necessarily reflect the real world. And I do think that... Uh, the idea of having a community 
driven rating where you know viewers or parents all vote on the kind of the every time they watch it or whatever they vote on the age they think it's suitable for and you know over the you know law of averages said it will eventually settle on what seems to be the general consensus of you know on a country by country basis because that definitely makes a big difference you know what what is seen as obscene in one country is not necessarily seen in the same way in others i think about say the difference between I don't know, England and Amsterdam, just just thinking about on the sexual side. But I think that there's something that could be innovated there online in a way that couldn't be innovated in a sort of pre, not YouTube, but certainly pre-internet uh, era. Um, and it's it's moving away from the ratings board. But I think we've talked about this um, enough. But do yeah. let us know what you think in, in Listener Land, um, podcast at natelangson.com. Do you think these ratings will do anything? Um, do you think they will detract from the effectiveness of, um, well, whatever it is that they're trying to uh, improve? And uh, obviously, if you, have, uh, if you have kids, do you think that these ratings make your life any easier or more difficult in terms of policing what your kids are exposed to? Uh, let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, before we get to our third and final topic for discussion today, Apple TV in the UK, what is just around the corner and what needs to be just around the corner for Apple TV to stay competitive? I wanted to get to um, a couple of emails and we're going to get to another one at the end as well. So this one, first one comes in from Andrew in London who says, Hi, Nate, love the podcast. I'm already giving you a review on iTunes, so no point asking me again. Well, it's to everybody else who isn't Andrew. <laughs> I love that. I really that made me chuckle. But thank you, Andrew. I greatly appreciate it. That we frankly, should just say everyone but Andrew. Everyone but Andrew, indeed. I mean, frankly, giving a review as far as helping promote and support a podcast is genuinely more use to Ian and I than you putting £50 in the post. And it says we have another tube strike announced, and I just want to get your thoughts on whether you think that we will have driverless cars on UK roads earlier than we have driverless trains on the central line. Uh, looking forward to the next episode whenever it arrives. Well, that would be now. Ian, I'll let you take this. I mean, we do have... Um, he says, answering his own question again, which I've noticed <laughs> I've done before. We do have driverless trains on the DLR. Um, we do. Uh, but yeah, £50,000, the average, I think, uh, tube driver earns. And I don't want to get into an argument about whether or not that is um, too much or too or, or is a fair amount. But but to answer the question, will we see driverless driverless trains on the, cent- on the tube system before driverless cars? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would, I would say so. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the driverless car problem um, and, and this, this is the issue that Google has run into in the States is that is that people who drive cars tend to crash into driverless cars quite a lot um, and it's not the driverless cars that are doing the crashing it's the people um, so I think that probably we're going to have to wait a while um, I just think it's going to take a while before anyone trusts driverless cars and I also think they'll be very very expensive I don't think there's any way around the fact that making a driverless car is going to cost a lot of money and of course I understand that they have to do it and there are going to be apps applications for it way outside of the road system as we know it before that and I think so industry will end up subsidizing driverless cars and then it will arrive in the next 20 years or so um driverless trains already exist I mean it's you know you you mentioned the DLR but actually um quite a few of the tube tube lines can run driverless now um and those drivers are often just accused and I don't know if this is true or not of opening doors and stuff but you know i think drivers are there for safety and security as much as they are anything else Um, and you need a driver when there's an incident don't you 
Yeah, and as long as the driver didn't cause the incident, of well, course. Well, of course, yeah, and there have been incidents of that. And uh, Yeah, I mean, they have a good union, and that causes problems, because sometimes when they do stupid things, um, as, you know, there were a few incidents a few years ago, weren't there, with people dry- drinking and uh, opening doors on the wrong side and stuff like that, and then the union steps in and tries to protect them, and that annoys people. Yeah, but we also have the difference in, uh, you know, on the tube network in that it's uh, an underground closed system, um, so much more manageable in some ways than a train system and a hell of a lot more predictable as far as you know rails versus roads go um, than than roads you know you, you it's yeah. very hard to retrofit a car to a road because a road is not really any different from the bit that isn't a road other than that humans can see which is which whereas a train is on rails and as in ideal scenarios you can generally predict where a train's going to be and a computer is is arguably better at navigating that kind of repetitive yes. cycle uh, cyclical system in the same way that computers fly planes for the majority of the time they're in the yeah. air well i mean again and you know that's good that works because there's not that there's not terribly huge amounts of stuff in the air um and so it, having a plane fly in a straight line is a relatively straightforward process isn't it um, and rails mean that trains can't veer off onto the pavement and kill one of those squishy meat sacks which is essentially what's going to cause the problems isn't it as soon as the first driverless car um hits the first person then we're going to know about it but also there's that argument isn't there it, it's an interesting one for for those of us who've grown up with isaac asimov um, is that what does a driverless car do if its choice is kill you or kill somebody else? Um, and it's quite a hard one, isn't it? But I guess that driverless cars won't be able to make those sort of decisions. So it's probably not going to be a big problem. Well, we're going to get to uh, more email um, after our third and final topic, which is Apple TV. Now, it has been rumoured by some fairly reliable sources that there is going to be an Apple event on the 9th of September, and we're not going to get into um, anything other than Apple TV and um, as far as that event is concerned. But one of the things that seems to be on a lot of the... Uh, rumor miller's lips is that there is going to be something of an overhaul to the apple tv both physically in terms of design and possibly even in terms of the business model it's been very static for the last few years there hasn't really been a hardware update for a number of years the basic model of um of what apple is doing you know when you look at apple music and the radio and streaming and all this sort of thing it's not really it does the apple tv doesn't yet seem to fit or rather it feels a bit too much of a legacy product to fit into where Apple's going, which is, you know, creating rivals to streaming services with with huge libraries and ecosystems. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we can maybe expect from the Apple TV if such a update is announced on the 9th of September. And to begin with, I'm just going to have a quick look at the article that I first saw, sort of quite a good overview Um on CNET. And CNET says things like, uh, as far as the box and hardware is concerned, we'll have new innards, it will have iOS 9 for TV, it'll have an app store, but it will not be 4K. Um, and this is, again, a roundup based on reports and leaks and things like that. So the one, the real one that stands out for me here, it, you know, new innards, yeah, yeah, who cares, iOS 9, whatever, we can kind of predict that, no 4K, no big deal this time around. Um, but the app store, in. An, apps, yeah. an Apple 
type app store for TV. We've seen what happens when companies make app stores. They tend not to be as good as the Apple ones. And I'm, I say that with a, a fairly decent dose of objectivity as well. Obviously, a great deal of subjectivity too. But you, when you simply look at the amount of money that people make from app stores, they make more from iTunes and the quality objectively speaking looking at reviews tends to be better mm. um particularly for some of the smaller games on ios so what do you think of an app store for tvs in in this in this in this regard? well no one's ever done it well so there's that um samsung is i would i would argue is probably the current leader um with app stores on tvs because it's got quite a good ecosystem in place um uh, you know of course they're all catching up but yeah, I, I just don't know how many apps I want to run on my TV. I mean... I, well, I think sit- about this, mate. Think about this very quickly. Think about yeah, this. Go on. Let's think about gaming. Now, yeah. this week we saw the release of one of the greatest games of all time, and I say that with absolutely no subjectivity whatsoever, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, released for iOS. Uh, yeah, not, for a cracking 12 quid or something, isn't it? At 12 quid that I spent and my brother spent. and You qu- already played it. I've bought it a million times, but it's worth playing again on a device that I have with me all the time because it's a fun game. But that's not the point. The point is... Is it fun on, a, is it fun on an iPhone, though? That's the question I was wondering, on, actually. On an iPhone... I... No, on an ah. iPad, ah. yes. Okay, fine. But my point is that it's also very, very good on either of those devices if you have a wireless Bluetooth little controller. Now, right. you could, I could, maybe we could, let's find out, totally see the iOS app store basically porting over to the Apple TV with kind of Wi-Fi, MiFi type controllers in mind. And suddenly you've got, a library of games, admittedly a lot designed for touchscreen, but some that could be relatively easily adapted to work um, with a kind of Wi-Fi type controller or the iPhone in some context. And that could be a huge boon in terms of offering, um, you know, real value to people who bought a lot of games. And if they only need to buy a 50, 60 pound box and basically get a little console in in their house, like that sounds like a a great thing to do and it's not something amazon has been able to do particularly well even though it's tried and even though it owns a game studio mm. yeah i mean i do i i absolutely think that gaming is probably the way for to get anything app store related up and running um i i, I can see what i can see where you're going you're, you're basically this is apple's little mini games console essentially with a, a great library of games already in existence and you know you've you've mentioned final fantasy which is a pretty big achievement isn't it even even I mean, it's it's an oldish how old is it now the, the apple tv or the current no box? The, no the um the final fantasy how old is that game oh it was released in 97 so, oh, it's so nearly, it's quite... nearly 20 years Blimey. So, you know, and I, I don't know what it looks like graphically. Uh, you know, I've never played Final Fantasy. Well, I must it, be missing out on something. It's good because it actually uses the graphics on the PC port, the remaster that was done recently. Ah, okay. So it's actually the graphics themselves are, at least to my eye, near retina, you know, high res quality. The text yeah. and everything else is still rendered by the base engine, which has not been upscaled particularly noticeably but it certainly looks a hell of a lot better than you'd expect no good uh yeah i mean i i I totally i think that apps uh, for apple it's a no-brainer like they've got to have people queuing up to write them they've got already got a great selection that if they're running ios on this new box they'll easily be able to run them on the tv uh you know there might be some tweaks needed here and there but yeah i mean it 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 makes perfect sense um for me I, i mean you 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 made the point that some of the other stuff isn't quite as interesting for me it just needs to do everything else and and i say that because one of the problems you get with 
these set top boxes is that they often don't do things like Amazon. Uh, you know, we've talked about Amazon before, haven't we? Um, and so you might get Netflix, but you won't get Amazon. And you will get Apple, obviously. Uh, it needs everything. And I, I think Apple TV's got to the point in its life cycle now where they've got the price absolutely spot on. Um, you know, it's not expensive. It's the sort of thing that you can know. You could walk into an Apple store and make an impulse purchase of it. It's not It's not a big deal. Whereas the first generation one was so expensive and mm-hmm. so bad that it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so they've they've kind of nailed it, and it and I definitely I'm definitely interested to see, and it could certainly be the time that I m- maybe would think about getting one of those over the other solutions that I use at the moment. Mm. Um, obviously, I'm a big Plex user. There is a good Plex app for iOS. Makes sense, you know. It's another one of those things that Apple has it all. Really. I think the benefit as well is what happened when they released the iPad, and I've got a strange feeling of deja vu here. We may have had a similar conversation in the past on the podcast, but if y- you can totally see people buying or we did see people buy ipads knowing that all their iphone purchases would work on their ipad yeah where and i could see that being a a good selling point at least now is that all this all the apps or games you know as long as they can work on the tv could work on the tv and i think that's a that's a great thing and it's good for podcasters too i I would like to think you know having better podcast support um, through a TV or home theatre systems, no bad thing. Um, just let's have a couple more minutes. We've we've talked a bit about gaming and the App Store and what that could do, and we've talked as far as the UK is concerned that it needs to offer the range of services that we have now. So we mm. we do have Now TV on there. We do have Netflix, and we do have obviously Apple stuff, but we don't, and we have YouTube, but we don't have BBC iPlayer. And BBC iPlayer is available on consoles. It is available on things like Amazon, but it's still absent on the apple tv so is that I, I you know i don't have an apple tv that's ridiculous how is that even possible i honestly don't know but did, it's... It, did it get removed a while ago i'm sure it used to be a bbc iplayer app for it didn't there um yes i want to say yes in the very beginning but i honestly can't remember it's to be funny. honest with you now. yeah well i think because um the thing about bbc iplayer now is that in order to use it you have to code html5 and that might be the reason that apple doesn't support it on the existing boxes because I, I suspect that they don't do html5 development for it um whereas that probably isn't true with the um with the with the ios you can probably write the app and it would easily support html5 i i would mm. imagine um because web apps are still a thing aren't they right i assume yeah I mean, they are still a thing you know yeah. the iphone and, was launched on web apps being a thing so well that's virgin kind of... virgin media boxes and sky digiboxes and stuff like that they're basically moving towards being html5 so you, you know you're going to get a lot more app development yeah. going along you know the etv box is uh, html5 so that's you know that's actually a very smart idea because it means that there is basically no barrier to entry anyone can write an html5 app yeah um and have it appear you know and and, and put it on the etv and so that's it's a good idea it's very it cuts down the cost of broadcasting by a significant amount and i say this from someone who's employed employed by a global tv broadcaster that the cost of um pumping tv and renting satellites to broadcast over certain terrestrial regions very very expensive and instant saving if you can pipe that straight <laughs> to the same tv boxes over ip yes um, but of course it's it's it satellite tv scales very well so you know it's not more expensive to broadcast to a million people than it is to broadcast to one um, it's the same price so i mean i'm i'm assuming that bloomberg broadcasts to pretty much every region on earth doesn't it pretty much yeah it's it's, I mean, it's quite a lot it's quite yeah. a lot and certainly over the web it's to to anybody um but the, the last thing i just wanted to mention is um apple is obviously moving towards the you know it has seen i think 
the light as far as pay once consume anywhere access you know if you buy tv content or movie content from apple for a long time now you've been able to stream it back to any device as if it was on netflix which it sounds like a no-brainer but it wasn't like that for a number of years no, you would it buy it and no, you would it's... download it and if you deleted it you'd have to ask <laughs> to download it again yeah and I mean, it's unbelievable now you say it yeah, to me. It, completely ridiculous. But that's the way things were even a few years ago. So and there are rumors and, and you know, again, for disclosure reasons, um, this piece reports, uh, uh, re-reports actually a Bloomberg article saying that um, people familiar with Apple's plans say that Apple is aiming for a 2016 launch of a TV service that would basically offer these are US prices, $40 a month access to a whole bunch of TV channels. So this is Apple getting into the... Um... They'll nail it in, in the States because, you, I mean, the, the big problem with the market in the States is that people are tied into cable TV things that are very expensive. Yeah. And that's why cable cutting has, you know, reached a real peak in America now. It, it, people don't want to pay 300, you know, well, I mean, you know, $150 a month for everything. They just want to pay for their cable broadband and then, you know, pick up the little channels here and there that they want to watch. Yeah. We see it in this country with Sky. You know, you get 150 million channels of absolutely nothing that you literally cannot skip uh, and 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 you it are very difficult to move around um it, it's, it's ridiculous people don't want that they want a you know they want an experience that's like netflix where the, at least you know everything on netflix is kind of oh, you're not interested in everything but you don't have to scroll through it all every time you type in what you want and you're there um, yeah, I think, I think the that... other angle to this as well, I mean, you and I are not in any way qualified to talk about sports, uh, <laughs> particularly, unless you want to correct me there. But, oh, that sports team. But exactly, that local team or that international team, yes. you know, both sides of them, in fact, um, very popular and people will pay a hell of a lot of money. And we've seen this rivalry intensify to the point of, you know, complaints to Ofcom and what have you um, about anti-competitiveness between BT and Sky, who, you know, want the rights to broadcast live sports. Now, if Apple has more money than both of those companies combined. And uh, I think it's fair to say that if it wanted to do sports next year or the year after or in the future, it wouldn't struggle to from a financial standpoint. And you could imagine that being a huge selling point, you know, buy an Apple device, get access to, you know, the entire Premier League. I know that's a big one. (laughs) all that kind of stuff so that's something yet to come but it does seem that's on the horizon but it's a bit further away in the horizon and it's still next year so we probably won't see that but what about you know netflix for itunes type thing i mean they've got a huge library they're already doing it with music what about i mean would you pay i don't know 10 quid extra a month to basically be able to stream anything from the itunes tv and movie store because i would but I don't think, but I don't think that would ever happen. No, me neither. Because they'd have to renegotiate all the rights for it. Um, uh, yes, I, I actually, I mean, I can see the, I can see, definitely see Apple being big in that. Like if they Netflix wanted to go after Netflix, that. if well, Netflix can do it, because Apple the thing, the thing is, the Netflix library is very limited, and and also those models work function on a very different system, whereby stuff doesn't stay there forever. So you get a, a certain window to watch things. And then it's gone. And if Apple, I don't know if Apple would want to go down that route. It, it overcomplicates things, doesn't it? Yeah. And you see that with Amazon. I mean, I, I, the, for example, I wanted to watch Lilo and Stitch with Izzy the other day, um, and it's it's gone from both of those services, both Netflix and um, uh, Amazon. So it, it's frustrating when that happens because you you know you you just don't know when it's going to go. And it's her favourite film. Uh, so now we have to find another way of getting it, like you know, buy it on one of the services or whatever for an extortionate amount of money. Well, we see that with streaming music, though. I mean, the number of times that 
you know, my brother has, has, I've suggested he listen to something and he's like, oh, it's not on Spotify anymore or something like that. You know, and I always tease him because I still buy most of my music, although I am <laughs> complimenting that now with Apple Music and that's working quite well. But that tends to be a problem with streaming, you know, on the whole, maybe more so on TV. I don't know. Well, we've talked about this for enough and yep. we've covered quite a few things. Anyone listening who wants to chime in with their thoughts, A, what would you what would what would get you into the Apple TV world if you're not in it already? Um, and B, more broadly, what would get you into the idea of having one of these streaming boxes in the UK um, if you don't already have it? You know, there's so many in the market and most of them, I would say for the majority of people who are buying consumer tech products, they're very affordable. You know, none of them tend to break the hundred pound barrier at all. Most of them seem to be between about 40 and 80 quid, you know, including Apple, depending on what you're after. And the value is is, is pretty good, um, particularly if you if you you enjoy tv and movie content so let us know podcast at natelangson.com well finally just before we finish up one more email that i wanted to get to and this is a, a very relevant if slightly delayed email reading from Christian, who says, and this is about Amazon Instant Video from the last time we talked about streaming stuff. He says, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's frustrated by Amazon Instant Video as I find it a complete and utter mess. What's with the two services to begin with? Amazon Instant Video and Prime Instant Video. They sound like the same thing. Also, why are some movies only available to stream on Prime and some can be downloaded by Amazon Instant Video? I actually had an interview for an internship with Amazon in, uh, Instant Video, uh, and when they asked me to review the service, I did exactly that, saying how I didn't like them using the same interface they use for the rest of Amazon, as well as how difficult it was for users to understand what is available and where. I didn't get the position. <laughs> I think it's true, though, as Netflix and Hulu are standalone brands and have their own defined user experiences, but Amazon is just too large and complicated to understand. Even Blinkbox, which is owned by Tesco, although has recently gone bust, I think, um, opted for having their service be a different brand instead of going with Tesco Video. I actually asked during my interview um, why they went with um, Amazon Instant Video instead of having it a separate brand, but all they could tell me was that it was a higher-up decision that they had no control over. I think with that, because AIV uh, is just one facet of the larger company instead of the entire focus, like with Netflix, they wind up with a watered-down user experience that's trying to do too much and not even very well. Just some thoughts. Love the podcast. Keep it up. That's from Christian, and that is a very valuable email and very grateful for you writing in to tell us that. You know, really great observation and kind of just clarifies the fact that it's not just us in our kind of tech box moaning into microphones once a week about things we do and don't like like these do affect people who actually use these services and go for jobs even at these services like it it takes somebody's got to tell them when something's too big to be useful you know i have as well i've I've had conversations with them at at amazon events where i've told them it's the whole thing's a disaster and it needs to be changed but yeah uh, i mean i think they sort of know and i think it will change but i I guess it takes a while to get to that point doesn't it yeah definitely well if you've got a valuable interesting and timely email to send to us please do so podcast at natelangson.com we read all of them we generally now tend to get uh, too many to actually read out every week so we have to pick the most relevant and concise ones um but we do read absolutely every single one so please do keep them coming and obviously please do keep those reviews uh coming on itunes because they are more valuable than you'll ever know unless you are running an independent podcast uh, out of your own back pocket so uh that's on itunes and let us know if you leave um them on any other stores 
so we can find them. And thank you for your constant evangelism. It makes my life just that little bit nicer when it comes to being a podcaster. And we'll see you in a week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.